have to talk at the men's meeting how we're going to start doing communion. We might have everybody come up here and huddle with their mouths open, try and catch that first one, um, and then we'll just go from there. No, I'm just kidding. Happy Mother's Day again. I think it's the understatement of the century to say we appreciate our mothers very, 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 very much. Uh, stick around for the rest of the day, and we'll make sure we appreciate you. Um, but man, it's good to be back. Uh, you know, last week, we were out sojourning around, went to Utah with the, the kids, the youth group, to their uh, youth rally there in Logan, and that was a time full of not enough sleep and too many children. So we're very, very, very grateful to be back. I'm saying very a lot today. Um, very grateful to be back. And JD did the sermon up here, and he did an awesome job. So let's, let's hear it for JD. I think he did an awesome job. And I hope he didn't like ruin you guys because he had, you know, it was pretty interactive and he came over here and he sat and he got in somebody else's mind for a minute. And here I am just talking about Old Testament characters again today. So I hope that's not too boring for you. Um, but I wanted to keep going with this Heroes of Faith series. I got probably a couple more of these that I'd like to share again looking at some of these uh, old school characters that we've been reading about in the one-year Bible and, and sharing their stories and sharing their faith and the trials they went through and all of that. And so basically started this back in April um, from the inspiration of Hebrews chapter 11. And if you've never read that chapter, most people call it the Hall of Faith chapter because the Hebrew author here is taking time to identify all of these Old Testament and all these characters uh, and the great faith they had before God, and they had to God. And so, basically, if you didn't catch it, I was just kind of going down the list, right? Started off right there in the beginning of, of April, um, looking at Abraham and how he remained faithful to God for years and years and years to his promise that he had been given that his generations would be as many as the stars, Right? But the reason that his faith is so strong and we can talk about it so much is because it was years and years and years. And he, he stumbled. He laughed at God. He didn't trust God all the times. But in the end, man, his faith was true. He trusted in God. We see that especially when he finally has Isaac, the, the one that's going to start his generations like God promised and God tells him, I need you to sacrifice him. Abraham trusts God enough to take him up, put him on the altar, to pull the knife out before God stops him. That's what trusting God looks like. And then we looked at uh, Noah. And, you know, Noah is another great example of having faith and trusting God because Noah was the only guy in the whole world that was righteous before God. The only one. So he had some faith there, being the only one. It's tough to go against the crowd, yet alone the rest of the world is the whole crowd, right? But... Not only did he have faith to be the only one, but he also spent a hundred years building a boat because God told him to. I haven't spent a hundred years doing anything. I don't plan to spend a hundred years building, especially living, right? But he remained faithful because God was going to destroy the world and he was going to save him through that boat. The only righteous person. And again, he wasn't perfect either. We see at the end of his story how uh, his imperfection caused division of nations for the rest of time, but he had faith and he trusted in God. While he was building a giant boat, while he was the only faithful person in the whole wide world, he remained faithful. And let's see, who else have I talked about? Oh yeah, Jacob. 
talked about Jacob very last, last time. And Jacob is a great hero of faith. He's listed in that Hebrews chapter 11 list. But when you read Jacob's story, you might think, how is this guy included? He seems kind of skeezy, kind of tricking God. He's trying to do his own thing above God. But yet God still uses him for his plan and brings him back to trust in God. So great faith can sometimes look like a bunch of mess-ups that finally take you down the right road to trust in God. Heroes of faith, that's who we've been talking about. And since it's Mother's Day, I was trying to think of who a great hero of faith for Mother's Day would be. And, you know, if you go through that list, you got a bunch of old guys, right? you got a bunch of men there in Hebrews chapter 11. So I'm going to pull one out of order and see if you guys are good with it. Today I want to talk about Ruth. I want to talk about Ruth today, and I'm going to classify her as a, as a hero of faith, one of these great characters we can talk about. And you might be thinking, well, Harold, it's Mother's Day. Ruth is a woman, at least, but she's not really a mother for most of the story. And to that I say you're right, but let me, I'll get there, okay? I'll get there. But Ruth is an incredible story of an incredible woman for God, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But uh, let me ask you this, and this is a trick question. How many of you know the story of Ruth? Well, it was in last week's Bible reading, so come on, guys. How many of you know the story of Ruth, right? But how often do you hear some, how often do you talk about the story of Ruth? It's not something we give sermons on terribly often. And it's not super hard. It's only a four-chapter book. It's a little story that's happening in the middle of the time of the Judges, that we just got done reading the time of the Judges in the book of Judges. And so Ruth here is this little story in the middle of all of that about a Moabite named Ruth during the time of the Judges. So... If you didn't read it in the one-year Bible, you're going to get a chance to hear the story today because I can't think of a better way to tell the story of Ruth than to just tell the story of Ruth. So that's what we're going to do today. So if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Ruth. We're going to start in chapter 1. Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Eighth? Did I do that right? Eighth. So anyway, it's after Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. If you want to open your Bible there, that's where we're going to be hanging out today. And we're going to read most of it together. And I just want to share the story of Ruth and then maybe bring it back to application for us today on Mother's Day. Because I want you to kind of understand what's going on, I'm going to be reading out the New Living Translation, and I have it printed out for me up here. Um, But I invite you to follow along in whatever version you might be. And I'm going to read a lot. So if you can't follow along, reading's like distracting for you, just listen. It's totally fine. Because this story's four chapters, and we're going to read most of it. All right. Let's read the story of Ruth. Again, I'm in the NLT. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, telling you and reading the story of Ruth. You ready? Let's do it. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his sons with him. I pre-apologize for the names I've practiced, but probably not going to get them right. Verse 2, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. The two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. 
And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Eli, who we're going to call him now, he died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpha, not Oprah, she came later, Orpha. And the other woman, uh, he, the other son married a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both the boys died and left Naomi alone with her two, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she sent out from the place where she'd been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? She gets a little sarcastic here. Why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up and then be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' house. For I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and then bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. So again they wept together. And Ophrah said to her, Your sister-in-law, oh, and Ophrah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited on their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she said. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty had sent such a tragedy upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in the late spring, and it was at the beginning of the barley harvest. Whoo! Chapter 1 of Ruth. You've read a quarter of it. You should feel accomplished, right? Ruth is only four chapters long. We read one chapter, and what we see here is kind of the beginnings of the story of Ruth. Right away at the very beginning, we, uh, we see, you know, kind of the introduction, the background information we need to know. We learn about Eli and his boys, Eli's wife, Naomi, and then the boys' wives, considering one of them is Ruth. And what we see is that uh, Eli moved his family to Moab. He moved from Judah to Moab, from Bethlehem to Moab. 
And when we read that, sometimes it's easy to get in our own heads. He's, they didn't move to a nice, you know, four-wheeling spot over there in Utah. No, they moved to the country of Moab. They went to a different country with a different culture, a different people, and different gods. And we see that coming out here in just, just a minute. So they moved to this foreign country of Moab. And we get a quick rundown of the history of their family, and it gets sad pretty quickly, right? We see that Eli has the boys, the boys get married, Eli dies, 10 years later the boys die, Naomi's all alone. And it gets really sad. You can see her in a, in a state of depression, she's sad. And so all she's got is her two daughters-in-law, which aren't even really hers because she has no boys they're married to anymore, right? And so for her, not only is this devastating because she's alone, but you've got to put ourselves in, the, in that time period as well. How's she going to take care of herself? There's no man in her family. Her bloodline is ended. There's no kids. There's no grandkids. And there's definitely no husband to provide a meal and provide a home and all of this stuff. So she's sad. And so we see the story of them. You know, they're going back. And Naomi tells them, hey, you guys shouldn't come with me. Why would you come with me? You need to go back home to your families. Go back home to your homes. And the first daughter-in-law, Ofra, or however you say it, I'm trying my best, she goes home after they have kind of a, a weeping session. But as she's going home, we also see Ruth doing the exact opposite. Ruth is going to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's going to stick with her. And you know what's really, really cool? She says, I'm going to go with you to your home. I'm going to go with you until death. And there's a really important part that we sometimes skip over right here. She says, and your God will be my God until we die. Nothing will separate us and I will worship your God. That's a big deal. Because looking at Ruth's background, you know, she would have grown up with the Moabite gods. But she has been ingrained in this family. She has now accepted God, their God, the true God, as hers. So she's sticking not only with Naomi, but she's sticking with God. She's not turning back on God. Starting to see where faith is starting to come into this story a little bit. She had faith in God, even though uh, she was all alone with Naomi, and she was going to go into a foreign land that she had never been in before. She trusted God enough to go with her, because she wasn't going to abandon God by going back to the Moabite rituals, the Moabite family. So they get back to Bethlehem. It's still sad. Naomi's being pretty dramatic about it too, right? She says, I went away filled with joy. I'm back completely in sorrow. God has abandoned me. It's really, ugh. We're just sad. But they're back in Bethlehem. And we have a little teeny bit that gives us the next chapter about to start. They're back in Bethlehem. It's springtime, and it's at the barley harvest. All right. The barley harvest, that must be important. Let's keep reading chapter 2 of Ruth. We'll get halfway through the story. Chapter 2, verse 1, uh, again, in the NLT. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Eli. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Eli. 
While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes where she rested in the shelter. So Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yeah, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope to, I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here, help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the wine. So she sat with him, <clears throat> so she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain in the evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from lunch. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless whoever helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi explained. Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his, his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you will be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in the early summer, and all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. All right, halfway through the story of Ruth. Again, a lot of reading today, right? So they get to Bethlehem. Everything's all sad. It's barley harvest season. The whole next chapter is about barley harvest, right? So that's where it's taking place. If you made a little mini movie about this, it's in the field, right? And you can kind of put yourself in, like I said, in Naomi and Ruth's shoes here. They have nobody to provide for them. They have no way to earn an income or to get food. And so what's Ruth need to do? Well, she needs to find food somehow, right? And her plan is 
I'm going to go out and pick up the leftovers in the field from when they're harvesting, which they, they had to do. Remember reading the old law? There would be leftovers left for people who had uh, a need to come and pick up. So she's scrounging for those. That's her plan. And she gets there, and she picks a field, and she goes from Naomi's house, and she ends up at this field of a guy named Boaz, right? And where we pick up in the story, she's doing what, what she went out to plan to do. She's behind all of his workers, picking up anything that has fallen. But what she doesn't know is that this is Boaz's field. And Boaz is a relative of Eli. So we're talking about, like, I'm trying not to make this weird, uh, cousins? Yeah, cousins, right? But cousins through marriage, when her husband has died. And so, basically... We meet Boaz. Boaz comes in the field, and right away, we see he take an interest in this girl named Ruth. He comes in, he says, hello, hello. And then the very next question he asks is, who's she? Who's she? And her, her, uh, harvest, her, his harvest crew tells him, you know, she's been here picking up grain, all that stuff. And he takes to her. He's kind to her. He goes over to her, and he says, hey, you know, come up closer and, and, and pick up with my people and come to lunch and have some water. And he's doing all of these things that are extremely kind. Why? Well, he knows who she is. He knows that she is a foreigner and she has that little conversation with him. But he also knows the great things she's done, the sacrifice she's made to come be in Bethlehem with Naomi. So... I don't want to make this like too ooey-gooey, but when I read this chapter, I'm starting to see Hallmark movie vibes, you know? That's how I read I'm like, aw, who's she? You know? I don't know. I don't know how Boaz is doing this. But he's, he definitely has an interest in her, and he definitely cares about her, and he wants to take care of her, so much so that he's going above and beyond, like I said, with all of those details. One that's really cool that you might have noticed is you know, she's supposed to be picking up the leftovers. And he tells his harvesters, like, okay, leave lots of leftovers. And also just start taking stuff out of the harvest bag and throwing it back on the ground. That's not a very productive business model. That's a love story waiting to happen is what that is. Right? And so she gets home and she's got an entire basket full of grain. Because Boaz cared about her. He wanted to make sure she was taken care of and he respected her. So, if it wasn't getting weird already, if it wasn't hallmarky enough for you, let's read chapter 3. Chapter 3, Boaz admires her, taking care of her. Let's see what happens. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you'll be provided for. Boaz He's a close relative of yours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor. And don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, and then go uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and he was in good spirits, as you are after you finish eating and drinking, 
He lay down at the far end of the pile of grain, and he went to sleep. So then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman laying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than, when you, than you did before. For you have not gone, gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who's more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lay down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize her. For Boaz had said, No one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, Bring your cloak and spread it out. And he measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything that Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter. We will wait and see what happens. But I know that man won't rest until things, until he has settled things today. All right, so chapter two. Chapter one, we get a backstory. They're back in Bethlehem. Things are sad. Chapter two is a Hallmark movie waiting to happen. Chapter three gets weird. I don't think Hallmark would take this one uh, frame for frame. Okay, why does it get weird, right? Well, first off, we, we come back to Ruth. She's back at home with Naomi. And, uh, you know, mothers do what mothers do. All my teenagers left today. Abby was here. I was going to tease her. Mothers do what mothers do, right? Hey, I think you should go after Boaz. Why don't you take a bath? Okay, that's a good start, all right? Why don't you take a bath? Why don't you put on some perfume? Put on that best dress. Go to him. Mothers do what mothers do, right? She's, Naomi's doing a little setup here. I think she's been doing a little setup for a while. Okay, Hallmark can take that part. That part's pretty good. But the way that they go about it, you know, Ruth is supposed to go at night after he's had a good meal and he's, he's tired, he, fall, he falls over in the pile of wheat and sleeps, okay? She's supposed to go to him, take his boots off, uncover his feet, and lay at them. That's the part I don't think uh, Hallmark's going to do the exact representation of. What does that mean? That's weird, right? So there's different opinions on what that means. But let me just tell you what is for sure like the broad picture of it. It's kind of their whole proposal process. Okay, Some people have different opinions on this, but it's kind of their whole proposal process. She's coming to him while he's sleeping, uncovering his feet and showing, hey, you can trust me. You were sleeping, you were vulnerable, and what I did instead of like robbing you blind, I took off your shoes and I laid at your feet. You can trust me, I'm submissive to you, right? So she's laying at his feet, it's like bowing down at someone's feet, but the part where he's asleep is the trust factor. 
All right, so he does another thing, which is a little weird. He, in response, takes her and covers her with his cloak or his blanket. What does that mean? Well, again, there's some opinions. But most people says that's him now returning the vow, the promise of saying, I will cover and I will protect you. You know what this kind of sounds like? Kind of like wedding vows. This is like promises to each other, except it's weird. So I bet if I, uh, if I could get the uh, Hallmark movie going for this one, they'd probably do that one a little bit differently. But she goes and proposes this offer to be with one another, to be married, and you see that it is indeed marriage, because in a minute here, after we read in chapter 3, he talks about, hey, I would like to marry you, but i got to make sure I do this right. I'm going to go to the uh, eldest in the family that has the right to marry you, and I'm going to make sure he's okay with, with me marrying you. If he wants to marry you, that's good, but if not, I'm, I'm, I'm for it, right? And he uses the word marry there. So this isn't just some weird sleepy time feet thing. This is a commitment. And Naomi set it all up. That's the part that's kind of like, oh, right? Naomi set it all up because moms do what moms do. She was going to take care of her daughter, and she saw a man taking care of her daughter, or daughter-in-law, but daughter, and she was going to make that happen. All right, but Boaz has got to do it right. He's got to make sure that the one, the redeemer that has the right to her, again, a completely different culture, right? The redeemer that has the right to her uh, doesn't want her first. So let's go ahead and read just about three quarters, maybe two thirds of chapter four, and I'll be done reading today, I promise you. So Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer who he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know, uh, you know Naomi? She came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Eli. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can go redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I'm next in line to redeem it for you. The man replied, All right, I'll buy it. Then Boaz told him, Of course, uh, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children and carry on her husband's name and keep that land in her family. Oh, I can't redeem it then, the Redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I can't do it. Now in those days it was custom in Israel for everyone transferring the right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family Redeemer drew off his sandal and he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd and everyone standing around, you're my witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Eli and his sons. And with that land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow, to be my wife. That way she can have a son to carry on the family in her name of her dead husband and inherit the property that is here in his hometown. You're all witnesses today. 
Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper and be famous. And may the Lord give your descendants, give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestors. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has provided a redeemer for your family. May the child be famous in all of Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you, and he has been better to you than even seven sons. All right, that's as far as we'll go. That's verse 15. We can stop there. There's a little bit of lineage after that, but that's the story of Ruth. So Ruth, a whole bunch of reading from the Bible. Why did I choose to talk about it on Mother's Day? Well, there you go. Ruth got a baby at the end, so now she's a mother. Win, right? But there's another mother that's playing a big key factor here in the story of Ruth. Her name's Naomi. She's a mother who's lost her own children. She's a mother who lost her own husband. But yet, she's still a mother. Ruth was never of her own blood. She was only a daughter-in-law because of marriage. But yet, as we walk along with them, literally on this journey from Moab back to Bethlehem in the field and to Boaz, we see Naomi being a mother to Ruth. It's almost as if mothers are kind of important. It's almost like when moms tease you and tell you to go take a bath so you can meet a boy and impress him. It's kind of important. It's almost like mothers are there caring for you even if you're not their own blood. Oh, wait, that's exactly what Naomi was doing, isn't it? She was a mother who looked after Ruth all the way to the point when she got married and had a kid of her own. But yet this whole time, she was just her, husband, her husband's son's wife. Nah, Ruth was Naomi's daughter. You want to know the cool thing? Probably my favorite part about this whole story. Naomi's daughter, because she cared for her, Ruth, had a son with Boaz, okay, in Bethlehem. The coolest part about this all is that that son is in the line of David, And the line of David is what bore a little baby boy in Bethlehem named Jesus Christ. Because Naomi was a mother to Ruth, she was a mother in the lineage of David, which was in the lineage of Jesus Christ back in Bethlehem where this whole story is taking place. That's pretty cool. Are mothers important? Yeah. Because if Naomi hadn't told Ruth to take a bath and put on some perfume, we wouldn't have the lineage of Jesus. Mothers are pretty important. So remember that today. Maybe just remember the story of Ruth, remember the story of Naomi, and just think to yourself one simple little phrase. Moms are pretty important. Moms can do a lot in somebody's life. And in the story of Ruth, (laughs) it gave us the bloodline of Jesus. So moms are pretty important. 
You should tell a mom that today. I think that's a good thing. Let's stand and sing this last song.